had one of those moments in your life where things did not go quite the way that you expected? I, I got a couple amens already. <laughs> I, I feel like I live in that place. Uh, I remember, I can dig quite, quite deeply into my memory. I, I remember uh, years ago, probably 10 or 11 years ago, when uh, we were at Reality Carpinteria, and I saw Brianna for the first time. She was, I was leading worship. I was coming out of the sanctuary. She was coming down the stairs, uh, being a teacher for the three- and four-year-olds. And I was walking out of the sanctuary, and I saw Brianna, and I was like, whoa, who's that? And thus began the journey for years. Uh, it started with me uh, timing when I would come out, because I would lead worship every Sunday. And she would teach the kids every Sunday. And so I got to learn, like, every week. Like, this is when she's going to come down the stairs. This is when I need to come out of the sanctuary at just the right time. It was like Groundhog's Day. You ever see that movie, Groundhog's Day? I had, like, every week to redo this so that it was perfect. And so I finally got it down to a science where I was like, she's going to come out of that. You know, she's going to come down there with a trail of kids at precisely this time. I'm going to come out of this building like this, and we should cross paths. And so once, we, once I got that down and we crossed paths, that's where the magic happened. That's where I started working on my, my posing and my walking. And I would try everything. I would try everything to get her attention. I would try calm and collected, you know, like. Like I didn't have a care or worry, like I didn't notice her. Other times I would be like sp- more spiritual, like a, I don't know, like a worship leader walk or something, like just entranced with God or whatever. Other times I would just be like MMA, Nate Diaz, like what, what, you know. Anything I could to get her attention. One day I got her attention. We made eye contact for the first time after weeks of doing this. And I stopped just perfectly right in the foyer as she's coming down the stairs. She's walking down the stairs. Her hair is just flowing in the wind. It was inside the church. I don't know. There was wind in there. But she's walking in slow motion, just walking everywhere, slow motion. And I stop right in front of her, and I catch her eyes. And she looks at me, and she rolls her eyes and walks the other way. (laughs) This is not what I expected. By the way, the eye roll has not stopped after 10 years. In fact, she gave it over to my daughter, Abby, who one day after, you know, if you're, if you're a dad, you know that bond, you just want your kid, like, especially your daughter, like, you just want that, that one moment where your daughter looks at you with a twinkle in her eye and says, I love you. And I've been, I've been working hard for that. And one day we had this just deep bond. We had a day just her and I together. We were hanging out, we're going to the zoo, doing all of this stuff. She was giggling and laughing and talking to me openly and freely, which almost never happens. And then one day, at the end of the day, we sit down and she just looks at me and smiles. And that's when I, I, I knew I had my moment. I was like, oh, this is the bond that dads feel with their daughters, right? This is what I've read about. And I look at her and I'm like, Abby, I love you so much. And she looks at me and she says, I know, Dad. You tell me all the time. Rolls her eyes, walks in the other direction. <laughs> this is not what I expected. You ever have moments like that? Maybe not with your wife or your spouse or your daughter, but moments where things don't wind up the way that you expected. It could be anything. Have you ever washed your car in broad daylight, 90 degrees, only to have it rain later that day? Or maybe like me, it was about to rain, there's clouds in the sky, you don't wash your car because the rain is going to wash it for you and you'll save like 10 bucks. But it only rains just enough to move the dirt around your car, <laughs> making it worse than when you started. Could be anything, but it leaves us saying, this isn't what I expected. Turn to someone next to you and say, this isn't what I expected. 
That's the title of today's sermon. And I want you to know today, to rest assured, you're not by yourself. Look with me at Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 20 with your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. The disciples of John and John the Baptist himself probably saying the same thing that you and I are saying. Look at this. It says in verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to John. What did he report? Or what did they report? All the stuff that Jesus was doing. Healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching and teaching. And it says, and John, in verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? How's that jab? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, Jesus, saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Okay, if it sounds like a jab and it walks like a jab and it quacks like a jab, it's probably a jab. John is a a little bit disappointed here. A a little bit of context. John is in prison. He's been in prison since Luke chapter 3 when Herod threw him into prison. He's been in prison this entire time. John is a special character, John the Baptist. We, we read about him uh, months ago. He was the guy that the prophets spoke about would allude to the Messiah, the coming Messiah. He was like the last prophet of the Old Testament and who like a siren would notify the people on earth that the Messiah of God was coming. He's here. After centuries of waiting, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Messiah, the Christ is here. He's actually in your neighborhood, and he's here, and he's doing things. And John the Baptist, the guy who was anointed by God to be the front runner, the red carpet layer outer, this is what he lived for. He's now in prison. He's been in prison, and he's starting to question whether he got it right. He's sending his disciples to Jesus and saying, hey, Did we get it wrong? You could almost hear the hurt in his voice. You see, John the Baptist knew that there was a Messiah coming. Perhaps up until this point, he believed that it was Jesus with all of his heart, his younger cousin. And he spent his entire life screaming at the top of his lungs in the wilderness that this was the guy. But he probably had some ideas of what the Messiah was supposed to be. He had expectations. We all have expectations. John was no different than the rest of us. John expected that the Messiah would be like so many uh, glimpses in the Old Testament, a guy who would come and bring revolution, perhaps in the uh, militaristic sense, that he would literally break the chains of the oppressor. He would ransack Rome He would free those who have been in bondage. And here, as time has passed, John is sitting in a prison. Rome is still in power. Nothing on the outside seems to change. And so he sends his friends, he sends his disciples to say, hey, did we get this terribly wrong? Please tell me now. We all have expectations. Sometimes our expectations don't happen the way that we saw them happening, as is the case with John, as is the case with me, as is the case with you. Sometimes God doesn't meet our expectations. For John, it was, I thought, or or for the disciples, it was, I thought you were going to topple Rome. I thought that's what the Messiah was going to do. Topple Rome, put Israel in power so that we can have seats of power. I thought you were going to break me out of prison, John the Baptist. 
And the list goes on and on and on, right? I thought I was going to be married by now. I thought I was going to have kids by now. I thought I was going to make more money by now. I thought I was going to have my dream job by now. I thought this was going to happen. I thought all of these things were going to be in place. I thought this, I thought this, I thought this. This isn't what I expected. And unmet expectations, probably don't have to tell you this, but unmet expectations often lead to disappointment. Feeling of let, being let down by someone who has failed to live up to our expectations. How many of you, rhetorical question, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you feel let down? How many of you feel disappointed by others, by yourself? By God. How many of you feel disappointed by God? Perhaps you're saying to yourself, I, I've been following God, but things have not worked out exactly how I thought they would. I'm not here to give you a guilt trip over expectations. We all have them, and we should. I just want to pull your ears closely to Jesus for a moment so you can examine what Jesus says to John when John experiences disappointment. Look at verse 21 through 22. Luke tells us that in that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered John's disciples, saying, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. What's Jesus saying? Do you think I'm the one? Look at what I'm doing. Do you remember Luke chapter 4? It's been a while since we've been in Luke chapter 4. I'll give you a quick recap. And you can turn there with me if you want. But in Luke chapter 4, the first scene that we see Jesus stepping into to actually speak to people, this is perhaps his first sermon that he gives to people, he walks into a synagogue, and it was typical for, uh, this was a typical experience in the synagogue, especially on the Sabbath day, for a young man to get an opportunity to teach through a, a, part, a part of scripture. And so you would walk into a synagogue, uh, you would either be handed a scroll, or you would pick a scroll of your choosing, and you would read publicly that section of scripture, and then you would teach on it. So, what we're seeing is what happened all the time. Jesus walks into a synagogue on a Sabbath day, and in verse 16, it says he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolls the scroll, found the place where it was written, and this is what it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. It's at this point that the sermon would be given, and it says in the text, the eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say them, here's one of the shortest sermons in, that you will ever hear in your life. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop, I'm out. Jesus. Do you hear what he, do you hear what he did? He took a section from Isaiah, I believe it's 61, about the Messiah, him coming and what he would do when he got here, and he said, that's me. 
Then between Luke chapter 4 and where we are in Luke chapter 7, he does all the things in that job description. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. He preaches and proclaims liberty to the poor and to the broken. And this is the argument he's making to John the Baptist's disciples. Luke says, hey, look, look around. He's healing people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and all sorts of blind people are starting to see. And so Jesus answers them and says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind have received their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. In other words, I am the one you've been looking for. I'm just not doing the things that you want me to do. See, Jesus didn't come to step into the same patterns that humanity has been trying and working out all of these years. Our broken systems, our patterns, he didn't just come as a sequel to humanity's processes. He didn't just step into the scene to rework or retry the things that we have been doing to no avail. He's not like a bad summer sequel, you know what I'm saying? Have you noticed that all the movies that have been coming out for the last couple couple years have been remakes? Ever since Tony Stark's Iron Man, it's like Marvel, 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 Marvel. There's only been like two or three good ones. It's just remake after remake. Even things like Full House, Goodness gracious, why? Redoing old shows, why? Is there nothing fresh on the scene? Is there nothing more that we can think of? Is there nothing new out there? If another Marvel movie comes out, I'm telling you something. I don't know what I'm telling you, but I'm telling you something. Jesus didn't come to provide a sequel. He didn't come to recycle and regurgitate old human patterns and behaviors. He came to do a new thing. He came in on the scene to do a new thing. God leaving heaven, coming to earth, spreading a new thing called the power of the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't come to acclimate to our way of doing things. He came to recalibrate us to the heart and kingdom of God. We just miss it sometimes because we can't see past our unmet expectations. And we see examples of this throughout the Gospel of Luke. Uh, if you can, with me, turn to Luke chapter 22. This is, one of my, this is what I think is one of the funniest examples. It's on one of the last nights as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's probably feeling a little heavy right now, a little emotional, He has a last meal, the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and then tells them point blank, I'm going tomorrow to die on the cross. This is why I came. And it says in verse 24, listen to this, this is the funniest thing ever. A dispute also arose among his disciples as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. After all that Jesus has done for three years, ending in a point blank explanation of his death. He's probably feeling a little bit of that pain and emotional, and he has a last dinner with his disciples. They get into an argument about which of them is better. Perhaps one of the most extreme versions is Judas. In fact, he doesn't just tell them that he's going to die. He says, one of you is going to betray me, and they begin arguing about which one of them is not going to betray them. 
uh, betray Jesus. Judas is on the far end of the spectrum of people who just didn't get it. And I want you to just, as a fly on the wall, just feel this for a second. Judas had what so many of us would love to have had. He lived with Jesus for three years, flesh and bone. For three years, he, had, he lived in the same living room with Jesus. They went on road trips together. They shared three meals a day. They had discussions. He was apprenticed by him. He listened to his teachings. He watched him do the things that he did. He saw the miracles. He was with Jesus physically for three years. Which tells me you can be really close in proximity to Jesus and still miss him. Judas would end up killing himself and betraying Jesus. Why? Same reason as all these other guys that we've been talking about. Just varying degrees of, extreme, of, of extremes. From John the Baptist on the mild end of the spectrum to Judas on the extreme end of the spectrum. What's the one thing that all of them had in common? Disappointment. They could not see past their disappointment. John the Baptist would get over his disappointment. Judas would not. And there's a whole spectrum of areas that you can fall. It's like those horse blinders. Have you ever seen that? Where horses have those those little shades to the left and to the right of their eyes so they can't get distracted. It ends up focusing their attention on what's right in front of them. Disappointment is like having horse blinders on. You can only see what has just happened to you. And when you're too focused on what God is not doing, you can fail to see what he is doing, what he has been doing, what he's continuing to do, what he's doing right now in your midst, right under your nose. Disappointment can do that. It can blind you to what God is doing. This is Jesus' argument. Do you see what's happening I'm raising the dead, I'm healing the sick, I'm preaching good news to the poor. That means the kingdom of God is here. But when you're blinded by disappointment, you can't see that stuff. You only see your unmet expectations. That's why Jesus wraps this whole section up in his message to uh, John's disciples by saying in verse 23, God blesses those... uh, God blesses those who do not fall away from me. Or in the ESV, blessed are those who are not offended by me. In other words, he's saying, the person who sees how I change things up and is willing to go with it, they're the ones that are going to be the most deeply fulfilled, the flexible ones. If Jesus put this in a beatitude, he would say, blessed are the flexible ones. God blesses those who do not fall away from me, fall away because of me. Blessed are those who when I change things around and I deliver to them the unexpected, they're willing to go with it because they trust me. My son Jude loves to cook with me and he just loves to assemble. It could be Legos, it could be food, it could be mud, whatever it is, he just loves putting it together. 
And he loves getting in the kitchen, barbecuing with me. He loves cooking a meal with me. And there are some times where he'll come into the, every, every time I cook dinner, I hear it. It's almost unmistakable and without fail. Dad, can I help you? And he'll run in. He doesn't even wait for the answer. He pulls up a chair and just, just sets up right at the stove. Uh, the other day, I already had dinner done. He was distracted by something. And I had dinner done, he, and I hear it. Dad, can I help you? And he runs in, puts on his little schmock, and he steps onto, the, steps onto his seat, and he gets up. And I'm like, uh, Jude, I, I already finished, but you, know, you could help me serve the, serve the dinner to mom and to the rest of, you know, to Abby. And he loses it. You didn't wait for me. You didn't wait for me. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. You see, what, you see the thing with Jude is he doesn't just want to do what I have already done for him. He wants to start from scratch. He wants to take the pre-existing ingredients and put them together himself. And this is what God wants to do in your life. Blessed are the flexible. Blessed are those who allow God to work from scratch in their lives. Some of us, we've been around a long time. We've lived 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years And we've already got the ingredients in the bowl. It's all set up. It's ready to throw in the oven. We've got our life planned out. And that's kind of the course of our Christianity is, God, there you are. Bless my life and my agenda, which I have so wonderfully put together. And when God starts to rearrange the pieces, we're like, ah, too much. Who are you? Privacy. Don't judge me. (laughs) Blessed are those who allow God to start from scratch in their life who say, I'm just, I'm going to let you in on the front end to do whatever you want with whatever I have. It's not, God, you're here, now bless my agenda. It's, God, I'm here, now what do you want to do with me? What are you doing in my life? Where are you going? What are you doing? And how can I get on your plan and your agenda? Fulfilled are those who let God start from scratch in their lives. This is what I believe Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, when he said, Whoever finds their life will lose it. In other words, uh, find meaning tries to obtain or control. The person who tries to obtain, hoard, control their life will end up losing it in a counterintuitive way. But whoever loses his life for my sake, read into that, surrenders their life, will actually find it. Jesus is saying freedom comes through surrender. Surrender. Not in trying to put all the pieces together and to present something beautiful before God, but allowing him to work with the pieces that you have. True joy comes from surrender. And that's often the problem, right? We love controlling our own lives. I love controlling my life. And so, God in his kindness has to disappoint you to detach you from your mediocre expectations. And you feel a little shaken, you feel a little unnerved, uncomfortable, disappointed. And sometimes, I dare say often, that may be God working behind the scenes to bring you to someplace better. I remember one time in particular years ago when I hit a wall in my faith. 
We talk about that here a lot at Reality. We refer to it as a wall. It's that, that point in your Christianity where it feels like your faith stops working. Almost never happens at the beginning. At the beginning, it's, it's fun. There's pleasure in it. It's exciting. There's so much to learn. There, it feels like a waterfall of revelation. You're excited about new things. You're learning from God. Prayer, is e- it comes easy. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing. When people are converted and they see Christ for the first time and it just enraptures their soul. What we also see in the Bible is that years, years, years in, down the journey, it stops being easy. And we hit what we call a wall in our spirituality, or some, as the, or some, as the, some of the ancients called it the dark night of the soul. And this is where the ease in our spirituality ceases, and it feels like our faith stops working. I remember years ago, I lost what felt like the passion and the pleasure that I had when I first got converted to Jesus. I would open up the Bible and it felt like the words just fell straight off the page. Whereas I used to spend hours in prayer before God, it came easy. Now it was difficult. It felt like I would lob prayers up to the sky, but they would go two feet in the air and fall flat. I no longer felt God's nearness. I no longer heard his voice. I started doubting. I started struggling with my own faith. I started wondering, is my faith even working anymore? And I was a little disappointed and disillusioned because when I first started, when I first got born again at Reality Carpinteria, it was like a revival exploded in my heart. Years and years and years later, it was like that faucet got turned off and I started wondering, am I doing something wrong? I didn't know this at the time, except by the grace of God, but God was doing a new work in me. That was not what I expected. Where things used to come easy, he started to make it a little more challenging. And I had to press in more deeply and more intentionally than ever before. I would eventually come out of that tunnel, but how many of you know when you're going through a tunnel, it's dark at the time? But God would bring me through that tunnel, and I would come out of that tunnel more in love with Jesus than I've ever been in my life. His voice would feel once again like a refreshing river. I would get more deep things from his word than ever before. He did something in my life that I could not do on my own. Transform me in a special way. It was like a second conversion. But at the time, it felt like a wall. And I didn't understand it at the time. But in retrospect, I was able to see. God did this because he loved me. And he wanted to take me to deeper levels of his love and grace. But it wasn't what I expected at the time. But I learned in those moments, and I still am, that the fruit is often in the process. It's often in the dark night of the tunnel that God is able to do far more exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we ask or think. And that this isn't what I expected is able to turn into what are you doing in me or in this right now? Yeah, this isn't what I expected, but maybe that's a good thing. God, what are you doing? Lead me right now. I want to follow you. I don't know what's happening, but I trust you. And if you got this and I've got you, then you've got me. The fruit is in the process. 
Brothers and sisters, how many of you are disappointed with the way your life turned out? How many of you are disappointed with God? How many of you in your disappointment have stopped to ask, is God doing something that I simply cannot understand right now? And if so, are you listening? Listen, this isn't an instantaneous thing. I believe that hurry is a great enemy to the Christian faith. Everything we want, we want overnight. We cook things in the microwave, we go through drive throughs we want things now, we order things on Prime. doesn't work that way in spirituality. Spirituality is slow. So God may be whispering to you, but it may be years before you get the full message. The wall that I was a part of was a year long. And I'm up here every Sunday preaching the gospel as people are getting transformed by the power of God, going home every Sunday asking, what's wrong with me? Why am I not experiencing this? Unbeknownst to me, God is working something deeper in my life. Just had to press through and trust. Hurry is the great enemy. Are you listening? Say, well, he's not saying anything. Well, just keep listening. And you keep going through that tunnel until you see the light at the end. There will be a light at the end of the tunnel for the believer. It might not look the way that you see it. It might not come the way that you think that it will come. It may not appear the way that you want it to appear. It will appear, though. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And sometimes we have to give up our expectations. This doesn't mean our expectations are bad or we shouldn't have any. It's good to have healthy expectations. But some of them are not going to be what God has for you. And when that happens... We have to give up those expectations in order to experience what God has. Could it be that disappointment is God's way of getting our attention? Shaking things up just enough to say, I'm taking you in a different direction. And if we were open to that, perhaps our expectations would turn into expectancy. I want to end uh, this morning with a story from the scriptures. This is Luke chapter 24, and this is at the end. Because even at the end, even after Jesus rises from the dead, his disciples still don't get it. They still don't get it. I want to show you the moment where their eyes were opened. Not to their agenda or their expectations, but to his. In the breaking of the bread. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 21, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I just want to stop right there. Okay, this is at the road to Emmaus. Jesus rose from the dead. They're walking along. His body's missing. They can't make any sense of it, even though he told them that this was going to happen. They're they're walking on the road to Emmaus. I laugh with reservation because I would have done the same thing. They're walking down the road uh, to Emmaus, and a stranger is there with them, and it's Jesus, and he's unrecognizable. And he he says, so what's been going on in Jerusalem the past few days? Jesus so funny. So what's been, what did I miss? What did I miss? What's been going on? And they're like, have you not heard? Have you, not, have you just been under a rock somewhere? And they, and they spell it out. Where I wanted you to pick this up on in verse 21 is the point of their disappointment, the unmet expectation. What did they say? We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Unmet expectation. 
Now I want you to see Jesus meeting people in their unmet expectations. He goes on, they go on to say, yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of uh, those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him we didn't see. Eh. And Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in one of the most incredible Bible studies in the history of the world, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He gave them a Bible study on a road trip about how he shows up in all of the Bible. So they drew near to the village, still didn't get it, to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, whoa. I added that, sorry. That's what I would have said. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon Peter. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What happened? Jesus met these people in their unmet expectations and recalibrated them to the heart and plan of God. Through the scriptures, through teaching, through walking, but ultimately through the breaking of the bread. You know what happened right here? In one visual swoop, Jesus tells them how it all fit together. He has been telling them this stuff the whole time. He would say things like in the Gospel of John, I'm the bread of life. Eh? He who eats this bread will live forever. What does he mean? That's gross. I'm not going to eat you, Jesus. John chapter 7. My blood and my body given so that you might have life. Ugh, that's weird. You cannibal. That's gross. He would say it on the last night at the Lord's Supper, the last supper. He would break bread. What was he doing? He would break bread and he would say, this is my body given to you. He was telling them a story. He was whispering to them glimpses of the story. This is how it's all going to come together. My body will be broken for the sins and brokenness of humanity. And he's sitting there after the resurrection, takes a big old chunk of bread, and he says, come on! It's this! And he serves them. And finally they see it. As they're looking at the unleavened bread, they look at it and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. He was talking about himself. He's he's not going to do things the way that we have expected through revolution and military might and swords. He's going to give himself sacrificially. 
and through his sacrifice, he'll change the world. And their eyes were opened at the breaking of the bread. Through the unexpected, through the death of the cross, he brings life. And these disciples were able to say, this isn't what I expected, but I trust you, and I'm going to follow you anyway. I'm going to ask Cody and the team to come out as we sing together. And I want to invite you into the same dinner with Jesus. This is for believers. If you've never made a choice or a conscious effort to follow Jesus, you can do that right now. You don't need me. You don't even need you. Jesus has done everything necessary to save sinners. All you have to do is say yes to God. You don't even have to have all of this stuff figured out. You can come with your doubts, with your questions, with your disappointment and your unmet expectations. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you and I want to follow you. And if you're a believer, you can step to the table of Jesus. And perhaps your eyes can be opened in the same way. Jesus would tell his disciples, as he would tear the bread, he would tear it, symbolizing his body, and he would say, this is going to happen to me so that you can have life. Every time you take of it, you take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. Paul would say in the letter to the Corinthians, every time you take of the bread and drink of the cup, you are proclaiming his death until he comes. You are proclaiming his unexpected way of stepping into your life. And in so doing, you strengthen your own faith. Brothers and sisters, have you hit a wall in your own life? Are you experiencing the unexpected? I'm here to say this morning, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. And the last place that you need to turn to right now is to yourself. Because right now you don't need a sequel. You don't need the recycling of human opinion or systems. You need something new in your life. You need the King of kings and the Lord of lords to step down into your mess and to reveal himself to you in the breaking of the bread. And so I want to invite you as followers of Jesus to take of the bread dip it into the cup, and proclaim him over your life. And when Monday comes, you step into the unexpected and say, I don't know what's going to happen, Jesus, but I trust in you. Lead me through the tunnel.